Amen. You may be seated. Andrew. Well, I have to say which one, don't I? It doesn't matter. You check and see if the air is on cool instead of heat. Maybe. Need a little AC running, I think. We sang, we rest within the wisdom of your plan. That's the fight, isn't it? That's the fight. And the more we are recalibrated by his truth, the more that is true in our lives. Just one of the reasons for regular weekly corporate worship that we might be recalibrated to God's truth. We're going to take a one-week break from Romans this morning. We do this from time to time when we celebrate communion. We're going to focus particularly on uh, communion in the sermon and with specifically the Passover And uh, you'll see what I mean by that. But I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 12. And then we will discuss more than that. But we'll we'll begin here. I'm going to read first 13 verses in Exodus chapter 12. And you've either gotten here in your reading this year already or you will soon get here uh, to to see the the deliverance of Israel from Egypt and the establishing of the Passover and, and all of those things. But uh, in chapter 12, it says this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb, according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, and the lintel of the houses in which they eat, they, they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains till the morning you shall burn. In this matter you shall eat it with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be this the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord have mercy on us and help us to see the Lord Jesus a little more clearly today as we think about the Passover. So, Lord, help me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit. Help us to hear it in the power of the Spirit. Help us to look to you. 
resting Christ as our true and greater Passover lamb. Lord, we pray for your blessing on those who don't know you, that they may come to see both their sin and the need of a Savior and the mercy of God available in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent and trust in Christ. Those of us who do know you, may this be just another day of growth in repentance and faith and growth in grace as a result of being here today. Bless us with your word, with your truth. Prepare us for communion. Do your work in each of our hearts. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Let my people go. No. That was basically the interchange there. But see, Pharaoh couldn't stop it. He might have thought he was a god. But he was going to find out differently. God was going to bring judgment on Pharaoh, on Egypt, and on all of their gods and idolatry. And in the process, set his people free through the plagues that we see there in Exodus. Water, turning the water to blood. Wow. Filling the land with frogs. Gnats. Flies. Dead livestock. Boils on the people. Hail. Locusts. Darkness. And one more to go. Let my people go. No. In that you see Pharaoh hardening his own heart. You see God hardening his heart in judgment. You see God accomplishing his purposes. And the last plague was the death of the firstborn of Egypt. His people will be delivered. Israel, though, is protected in the midst of this judgment and delivered from slavery through the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. They're instructed, as you saw, that each family was to take a lamb without blemish, was to kill it and roast it with fire, was to place the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, and the blood of sac- sac- blood was a symbol of the sacrifice of the lamb. And it says the Lord would see it and pass over and not bring judgment on the house that had the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. This great deliverance you saw would would mark what would become the first month of the Jewish calendar. And every year they would celebrate the Passover in remembrance of the Lord's deliverance out of Egypt. Every year Passover lambs would be sacrificed and the people would eat them in celebration of the Lord's difference. Deliverance. And difference, deliverance. But it was it was more. You can see it here. It was more than just a mere remembrance. It looked back, yes, to God's deliverance of of, of the children of Israel from Egypt through the sacrifice of the the Passover lamb, yes, and through the judgment on the firstborn in Egypt. But it also looked forward to a coming of the true and greater Passover lamb who would deliver his people from the true and greater slavery, which is slavery 
in sin. Jesus would come. Jesus would be crucified after celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And during that meal, he showed his disciples that he was that true and greater Passover lamb who would die that his people might be delivered. Yeah, I wanted to look at this today, and we've done this in various forms in the past. But most of us, if we've we've come up in the church, most of us has come up in the in the in the setting of a of a, a treatment of the Lord's Supper that it was just pretty much a mere memorial. It's just a remembrance. And that's all it is. And there's much more to say about the the Lord's Supper than the remembrance. It is a remembrance, but it is is much more than that. And we'll talk about that. So today from Exodus 12, 8, and again, this is more of a kind of a devotional preparation for the Lord's Supper than, than anything else. But I want you to see that the Lord's Supper is the true and greater Passover meal where we feed on our Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really the point there. It's just like the Israelites of old who fed on the lamb. We too feed on the lamb. But before you think I've become a Roman Catholic, just wait on me, okay? There's, there's a true feeding that takes place. There's a depth to it. There's, there's more to say about it. So just a very simple outline. First is the first Passover. We read it in Exodus 12. That perfect lamb without blemish was killed and roasted. The blood was put on the door. It was eaten by the family. And they ate it with their belts fastened, their sandals on, their staff in hand. They were ready to travel because God was about to deliver them. It was eaten in haste with unleavened bread uh, and no time for the bread to rise and bitter herbs representing the bitterness of slavery that they're leaving behind. They were delivered from judgment by the door, by the blood on the door, which represented the sacrifice of that Passover lamb in obedience to what God had instructed. And like I said, this becomes the first month of the Jewish year, and it becomes a yearly feast or celebration, which they celebrate the Passover lamb. So that's quick. That's the first Passover. We read it and we see the feast as we continue reading in Scripture how that developed over time. And it's sad to see that, that it was, if you, if you think about the history in your Old Testament, that it was rarely practiced the way it should have been. That there would be times of revival when it would be revived and things. But it was, it was neglected a lot of times. And, you know, and, and, and that kind of thing happens in the church when, we, when we're just coasting Along, But so that's a really quick snapshot of the first Passover. Now I want to focus your attention on the last Passover. Before the, before the Passover was fulfilled and replaced, Jesus ate the last Passover with his disciples. And that's really what it was. Although it would continue in practice in some. This was, this was the last real Passover of that old covenant type. And there were many things added to it. You could see kind of the, the simplicity in Exodus 12, and you can read on through Scripture. And then because of it, just like a lot of other things, because of its sort of neglect, and then you come along to the Pharisees, and, and they had the good intentions. They just didn't execute them the right way. But they were, there were a lot of things added to that original Passover 
Um, there was a lot of um, steps to it that were added, and the Pharisees did some of that adding. I'm not going to go through all of them. You can look that up. Uh, but simply to say, Seder, Seder, you heard that word? Seder is merely a transla- transliteration of the Hebrew word Seder, which means order. That's really all that word particularly means. But there was an order to this Passover meal, and you can see some of the glimpses of that as you read Scripture. But there was a, there was a telling of the story of the Passover, so they would look back and remember what God had done in delivering them from Egypt. They weren't Baptist. Because you can see there were more than one cup of wine in the supper. Just joke. Y'all can relax. First cup of wine in the meal was blessed. And you see Jesus blessing that first cup in, in Luke twenty two seventeen and 18. You can go look that up. But it would have been blessed something like this. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. There would have been a blessing over that first cup. And then the second cup of wine in the meal was a reminder of the ten plagues. We counted. And at some point in the meal, and there's a lot more detail I don't want to go through. It's not my purpose this morning. But the matzo would be broken. Right? Now, does that paint a picture for you of the Last Supper? When the bread was broken. After blessing the bread, Jesus broke it and he said, Now, you see the transition here. This is my body. See how he's, he's showing himself as the fulfillment and he's simplifying and changing that Passover meal. When he broke that bread, he said, this is my body. And they would have had the meal, which would have been the Passover lamb. And then the third cup of the meal was the cup of redemption. And that was the cup that Jesus took in his hands when he said, this cup is the new covenant. In my blood. That third cup after supper. You see that Luke twenty two twenty and 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, which we'll read later. He took that cup after supper, clearly in, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of the exodus from Egypt. Is that what he says? That's not what he says. In remembrance of me. You see how that meal is being transformed now? It's being simplified and transformed to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He is the fulfillment of that Passover lamb, the one, the true and greater Passover lamb who would come and bring the true and greater deliverance. When he's, when he is transfigured before the disciples and, and meets with Moses and Elijah, it says that they discuss the exodus that he was about to accomplish. Go look up the, the original language. You might say departure, but it's literally exodus that he was about to, to accomplish there. And then after that in the supper was the fourth cup, which is the cup of praise. And we see in the beautiful high priestly prayer in John 17 that Jesus took time to praise and thank the Father at the end of what we call the Last Supper there. I've said this before. You want to hear Jesus pray for you? Go read John 17. 
So that's just that's just me touching on some of some of the elements of that last Passover that he celebrated with his disciples. And you see how he is he is both celebrating that he's he's desired long to celebrate it with them. And he's in the midst of celebrating it. He's showing them himself as the fulfillment of it. See, this bread is now this is a symbol, a sign of my body broken for you. This cup is now a symbol of my bloodshed, point of my death, body broken, bloodshed, death. And then what happened after that supper? They go out from that supper to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then here comes Judas with the, with the band, having betrayed him. And he is arrested, and he is, I'm going to put it in quotes, tried. You look at it, it's not a real trial. And then he is crucified. The Passover lamb is sacrificed for his people. Scripture tells us that he died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised the third day, according to the Scriptures. That he lived before that in perfect fulfillment of his own law, accomplishing a true and perfect righteousness for his people. And then he died paying the penalty for our sins on that cross through the grave, raised the third day that we might trust in him as the true and greater Passover lamb and have the salvation that he has purchased. See, that was the last Passover. Should we celebrate Passover as Christians? We're going to today. Because we're going to celebrate communion, which is the fulfillment and simplification of the Passover meal. Can you do that? Can you have a Seder meal in your home for instructive purposes? And all? It's sure. But just remember, that thing that has been fulfilled, completed, simplified, and it's now what we practice in obedience to Jesus, is the Lord's Supper. So that last Passover, right before he was crucified, and then now what I'm calling, and you can see, this is just this is more devotion than sermon. This is preparing you for the Lord's Supper. This is kind of where I want to focus, the new Passover, which is what I've already said. That the Lord's Supper is the new Passover. What we call communion or the Lord's Supper, this is the new Passover. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. So who we are in Christ and our justification then encourages us that we progress into our growth in grace. But look what it says there. For Christ, see I'm not guessing when I'm saying he's a fulfillment. When Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Know that it's that perfect tense. He has been once and for all sacrificed with a continuing result into the present. He's not being sacrificed over and over and over. One time for sins. Read, read Hebrews. But know the clear language right there. How do I know that Christ is our Passover lamb? Because, well, the word of God tells me that he is. That he is the true and greater Passover lamb who has been sacrificed in fulfillment of all of the types and shadows and prophecies of the Old Testament. And this is one of the reasons I tell you, if you've never read the Bible before, to not start in the Old Testament, but to start in the New. 
to read John, to read Luke, Acts, Romans, Hebrews, things like that. So that then when you do go back and read the Old Testament, you can read it with Christian eyes and see Christ in it. And as the fulfillment of it. Say it again. The Lord's Supper is the Passover fulfilled and simplified. Look in Luke 22. I'm going to read this for you again just to put word on it. But this is the institution of the Lord's Supper. Jesus having the Passover, the disciples have prepared. He's told them exactly how to prepare. They've done that. And it says this in verse 14 of Luke 22. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So the point is it's being fulfilled. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, Remember, this is the Passover meal. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See that I am the Passover lamb, and when you celebrate that, you're celebrating my sacrifice that truly delivers you from the true and greater bondage, which is bondage in sin. Likewise, the cup uh, after they had eaten, which Paul says after supper. This is that, that cup that we were talking about, the cup of redemption. This cup is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes that has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he's betrayed. And they begin to question one another as it, who it could be. So you see there, you see that Passover being Christ pointing to himself in the Passover meal with the broken bread, with the cup of redemption. He's saying, that is me. That is me. So what I'm instituting for you here is not something completely new, but something fulfilled and transformed in the Lord's Supper. So again, what is the Lord's Supper? Is it a mere memorial? And that mostly that's what the Old Testament one was, but we said it pictured coming of Christ. Or is it more? And this has been a big discussion in the church for a long time. I'm not going over very deeply all the camps. You know that the Roman Catholic Church believes that the, 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 the bread and the wine are transformed in their substance into the real body and real blood of Jesus. That it still looks and tastes like bread and wine, but its substance is the body and blood, the transformation. That when the priest prays the prayer of consecration, the elements are literally transformed. Well, the Reformers saw the error of that. Luther went one way, and it's called consubstantiation. He probably wouldn't like that, that the body and blood were really and literally present in, with, and under the bread and the wine. And then the reform position, which I believe to be the biblical position, is the spiritual presence of Christ. That Christ is truly present in the meal. That we partake of his body and blood, but not in a literal way, but in a spiritual way. In our hearts, 
we feed on Christ, as we feed on these symbolic elements that point us to Christ, these gospel elements, this visible, tasteable gospel, if you want to put it that way. But there's more than a memorial going on, and that's why people have wrestled so much. Look at 1 Corinthians before 11, which we'll look at, 1 Corinthians 10, 16 to 18. The cup of blessing that we bless, and we're talking about the Lord's Supper here. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Literally, the NAS says a sharing in the blood of Christ, which is probably a better translation here. The bread that we break, is it not a participation or a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake and share of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifice as participants in the altar. So Paul's saying in the midst of the Lord's Supper that there is a sharing in or a, a fellowship with, a participation in the body and the blood of Christ. There's more going on here than a mere memorial. And it's called a sacrament. What is that? A sacrament is a visible sign of God's invisible grace that was instituted by Christ. How many do we have? Two. Two. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. So just as the water in baptism is not literally the blood of Christ, but symbolizes it, the bread and the wine are not literally the body and blood in Christ, but symbols, signs of it. But they're more than just bare signs. They're means of grace through which God works. So a sacrament is a visible sign of God's invisible grace that was instituted by Christ through which believers receive spiritual blessings, which spiritual strength and growth in grace. You can think of it that way. So we're actually, we're actually feeding on Christ in the supper just not carnally and physically in the mouth, but spiritually in the heart as we take of the supper. And there's union and communion with Christ in the midst of that, and union and communion with his body and blood in the midst of that, which even Calvin said he, he'd rather not try to explain. It was too big for his brain. He'd just experience it. So if you think he's cold, he's not, not really cold. But the catechism will help us with this. Shorter catechism, just ask the bare question, what is the Lord's Supper? And watch how, watch how they describe this, and, and maybe this is a help, to show you that it's more than a memorial, that there is a spiritual feeding on Christ going on here. What is the Lord's Supper? Answer, the Lord's Supper is a sacrament wherein, by giving and receiving bread and wine according to Christ's appointment, His death is showed forth, and worthy receivers are, now watch this, not after a corporal and carnal matter, but by faith made partakers of his body and blood with all his benefits to their spiritual, see it, spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. So that's putting forth what has been known as the spiritual presence of Christ in the meal. Through the bread and wine, though the, though the bread and wine remain unchanged, through them, Christ's body and blood are spiritually present and we are spiritually nourished through his sacrifice as we partake of the supper. Again, hear me. It's bread and wine or juice. 
and it remains that, but it is set apart and sanctified by the Lord for a spiritual purpose that through these elements we might look not to them, but through them to Christ and freshly believe and apply the gospel. Not that we've lost our salvation, but just as we move forward and grow in grace. We, we can have some of the language that has been used. Our faith is fortified by participation in the supper. This is one of the reasons why we don't do any type of self-serve communion or anything like that. I know some churches do that. I think that is wrong. If it's not connected to the Word, it's not communion. If it's not explained, it's not communion. Who knows what people are thinking when they're doing that? Now, that's my opinion. I don't mind putting that out there for you. If we're, if we're having a McDonald's-type thing where it's self-serve, yeah, you, you can do that every week, but not be practicing communion in the midst of it. I know when... I'm getting off on things I didn't mean to get off on. That happens with preachers, though. But I asked one, one man who was an elder in a church who does it that way, I said, why do you do it that way? And he looked at me and he said, I don't know. That's just why we, way we've always done it. I said, well, you might want to know. You might want to think about that. You might want to dig into that a little bit. Because there's something serious going on here. Though the bread and the wine are unchanged, through them, Christ's body and blood are spiritually present so that we are spiritually nourished through the sacrifice. So when I partake of the bread, I'm looking through that bread to the broken body of Christ for me. That He took the curse due me. That He was crushed, paying my penalty. When I take the cup, I'm, looking, I'm not counting in that, on that wine or juice to do anything. But I'm looking through that wine or juice to the blood of Christ shed for me. And the, Spirit, the, the Word promises that it's by His blood that we are cleansed from our sins. Put those two together. They're symbolizing His death. He died. He was the Lamb of God who takes away our sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And through these elements, I look to Him and remember and feed and rest and find my faith fortified and strengthened that I might go forth. Jesus, as the Lamb, not only delivered the Israelites, just as, not Jesus yet. <laughs> I'm having trouble this morning. Just as the Lamb not only delivered the Israelites from judgment, but it nourished them through the Passover meal, so too the sacrifice of the true and greater Passover Lamb not only delivers believers from judgment, but also nourishes and strengthens their faith through the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper is a memorial, but it's just so much more. It's a sacrament. It's a, it's a means of grace. It's something where God draws near, Christ draws near to grow us in grace. That we get this, and we get this monthly reminder, and some, sometimes people do do it weekly. I've said before, we need the daily reminder of ourselves of the gospel. So this is a reminder and a fresh application of the gospel as I look to Christ and spiritually feed on Him. And God blesses it and strengthens us. I don't understand all the ways that works, but it does. It is a means of grace that He has given us that we can participate in. So, just a couple of points of application, and we will actually finish a little earlier than normal. We have communion going on and a new member's presentation. That's why I'm trying to shorten that up a little bit. First, the supper is a reminder. 
It's a reminder of Christ's accomplishment of redemption. It's no longer about that. I mean, it's an important thing, but this meal is no longer about that deliverance from Egypt. It's about the true and greater deliverance in Christ from bondage and sin. So it's a reminder of his accomplishment of our redemption. We are delivered from that bondage and sin and its judgment by the sacrifice of our true and greater Passover lamb, Jesus. So, yes, we do. He, he tells us, do this in remembrance of me. So we, it, is, it is a reminder. It's just much more. Number two, it's a meal. We are regularly nourished and strengthened by his sacrifice. We feed on him by faith in our hearts. Our faith, therefore, is fortified that in our lives he might be glorified. You see this in 1 Corinthians 11. It, the supper is also a prophecy. It says we, we partake of it until he comes. His sacrifice points us forward his coming again and the completion of his application of redemption. And therefore, number four, the supper is a means of grace. It's a God-appointed practice where Christ has promised to draw near and bless us with fresh application of the gospel, with fuel for devotion and growth. With, it, it's, a, it's one of the ways in which he increases our love for him by our reminder that he is the Passover lamb that delivers us from judgment of sin and bondage in sin. So I hope that helps and makes sense. You can look at that and look at 1 Corinthians 10 and some of those verses and but into the spiritual presence of Christ. But we feed on him by faith. It's a real meal. It's just a spiritual meal. Work through these signs where we feed on Christ by faith and are strengthened and nourished. See, the cry is still going forth by God, let my people go. And he is daily delivering his people through the application of the preaching, the understanding of the gospel so that people repent and trust in Jesus. And he is still regularly nourishing that faith that he has created through these visible, tasteable gospel elements and reminders of Christ's sacrifice, his firstborn son, his our Lord Jesus Christ, who is risen and reigning and returning, who was sacrificed for our sin as our true and greater Passover lamb. His body and his blood represented in the wine and the bread make up the new Passover, which we call the Lord's Supper. And he promises to work through it to fortify our faith as we participate in the supper that he has given us. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for sacrificing yourself for us. We thank you that you would condescend to live for us. To fulfill the law in thought, word, and deed. To fulfill, as you told John, all righteousness. For your people because we have no righteousness in and of ourselves. And that you were pleased to go to the cross then and die and pay the penalty for our sins. Not just suffering physically. But taking that cup of wrath, do your people's sins 
and drinking that dry on the cross such that you could say, it is finished. That you completely and fully accomplished redemption. And the Spirit is applying that redemption to your people, bringing them to repentance and faith through the gospel and nurturing us in that faith, in that repentance. It is your work of grace in our hearts. So again, those who don't know you, maybe young children who don't know you, we pray that you would be reaping that soul, that you would be planting gospel seeds, that you would be bringing them to an understanding for the first time of the gospel that, so that they will turn and trust in you. And those of us who do know you, Lord, may we be pressing into growth because of your love for us, not in order to be loved, but because of your love for us, knowing that someday you will finish the work in us. Help us, to, as we sang earlier, to rest in the wisdom of your plan and to see this centerpiece of the wisdom of your plan, your son on a cross, dying for his people's sin. And then that empty tomb, proving that it's all true. So convert and sanctify sinners even now as we celebrate your supper. Bless and be with us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I had someone ask me again a good question recently, and I hear it from time to time. And, it, and this is another thing I never saw. The church I grew up in, I never saw it done. And maybe you were in churches that where it's never done, and there's a lot of churches, especially the weekly thing, it's not done. So the person says, why do you fence the table? What's that all about? Well, let me show you what it's all about. Look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven to 32. I'm basically just going to read this. But as Paul was correcting the practice of the Lord's Supper in Corinth, he said this, and remember, this is New Testament to a New Testament church that was not practicing the supper as a holy thing with reverence to God according to the Word of God. They were doing their own thing. But look what it says in verse, we'll come back to the others when we actually celebrate the supper. But in verse 27 it says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then, then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment. On himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So that is why we fence the table. It is out of a, a desire to glorify God, to practice the supper His way, and to protect you. Right? So that is why we say we, we, we don't practice close communion. You don't have to be a member of Grace Church. But we do ask if you are a, a Christian who's trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and a member of a like, a doctrine, like doctrine church, then we invite you to partake as long as you are not running from discipline in that church. 
You are not holding on intentionally. Some sin you refuse to give to the Lord. You, all of the other things is okay, but this you're going to hide and hold. You can't hide. You're not hiding. He knows. Right? If you're, not that you haven't repented of every single sin in your life. I mean, that's our ongoing process. But there's something you're consciously holding on to. We would say, if you're not a Christian, don't partake. Because this is a meal for Christians, and by taking it, you are saying you're trusting in this Lamb of God who was sacrificed for you. So if you're not a Christian, don't partake. If you are a Christian, but you're, you're, you're running from God, running from judgment, don't partake. Come talk to us. Right? But if you are a believer and of like-minded faith as we, then we invite you to partake of the supper. If your children have made a profession of faith and have been baptized, we invite them to partake the supper. It's not snack time. And you know what? I know children get upset sometimes when you won't give them the elements. You know what? Look at me. That's okay. Their tears won't kill them. I promise. But make that an opportunity. Let me tell you why. That it's such a serious thing and we don't just give you the elements. It's a gospel opportunity. Right? So with those qualifications, we invite you to partake with us the Lord's Supper. The way that's going to work is we're going to sing a couple of, of hymns and the, the men are going to distribute the elements to you. Hang on to those elements until the end and we will all partake together. One body, one loaf, you know, all those scriptures, right? And then instruction about the, the, the plate. It may not look exactly like this, darker and lighter. I'm not sure. I don't know. But the outer ring is wine, and then the inner part of the plate is juice. So if, if you have a conviction not to use wine or if it's a stumbling block for you, and certainly if you don't want your kids to have it, then you know where the wine is. The wine is the outer ring and the inside is the juice. And then if you have a gluten sensitivity, all the bread is gluten-free. So we don't have to have two or three different plates. It's just, it's good. It's okay. So gluten-free bread and wine around the outer ring. With that, I think you're well instructed. Um, we're going to sing a couple of hymns, My Jesus Fair and Complete in Thee. Remain seated while we sing and they distribute the elements. And then we will partake together. But let's move forward with that.
Okay, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we, we thank you for these common elements that we have. Bread, wine, juice. Set them aside for a holy purpose. Use them as gospel instruments that we might not look to them, but through them, Lord Jesus, to you. And believe, and believe specifically that your body was broken for me, that your blood was shed for me, that you died for your people to cleanse them from their sin, to clothe them with your righteousness, that, they, that we might be adopted into the family of God 
be sanctified by the Spirit and one day glorified, that you will finish the good work that you've begun. But help us as we celebrate the supper, Lord Jesus, to look to you, to believe afresh and stronger in you, to be more confident of your love for us, and to have by your Spirit's work connecting us to you, communion with you, and be fortified in our faith. Thank you for the plan of redemption. Thank you that you would come, Lord Jesus, to achieve our redemption through giving yourself to be broken, crushed, Isaiah says, for our iniquities. That we might have redemption, Paul would tell us, through your blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your life. We praise you for your death for your resurrection, ascension, and reign, that you are seated at the right hand, at the seat of authority and power, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are for us, and that you will work in this meal to strengthen your people. Lord, we pray for the lost to be converted and come to true faith in this most glorious and loving Savior. And for those of us who are your children to be grown in grace as a result of this meal. So help us, Lord. We look to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Paul says in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had broken it, When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Eat the bread and look through it to Christ, who was broken for you, paying the redemption for your reconciliation with God. Look to Christ and eat. Verse 25 says, In the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, notice it, until he comes. So drink the cup. And believe that the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, has washed away all of your sin. Drink and remember Jesus. Lord, again, we thank you for a redemption that was so costly to you that it might be free to us. That what you require in response to the gospel, you grant by your Spirit's work in our hearts, repentance and faith. And bringing us to repentance and faith, you grow us until the day that you perfect us. By one sacrifice, you have perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So we praise you and thank you 
Strengthen our faith. Send us away from here today when we, when we do leave with a stronger commitment to live for your grow, glory, with a stronger understanding and application of, the, of your love for us and the sacrifice of yourself that would produce in us a growing love for you. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. And that salvation is through believing this Gospel and turning and trusting in Him. Rest in Christ. He has purchased it for us.